There's two big trend lines I'd highlight for you. One is uh, a return to nature. I think something about this pandemic really drove people out of the urban areas and out into nature. I moved here permanently in early 2004, and everyone there was like, why are you leaving the epicenter of you know value creation and startup land to go there? When the pandemic shuts down the business and for a hot minute you think, oh my God, you know, eight, nine years of work, you know, there's a, there's a, 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 an outcome here that's not off the charts probabilistically where it all goes away, right? And it's that moment that you say, okay, if this thing matters that much to me, if I'm that passionate about it, that's what gets me through that time. This is the ProCo 360 podcast. I'm Dave Tabor, hosting ProCo 360 because I love Colorado and I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs. Today's episode features Brian Egan, co-founder and CEO of Evolve. Now, Evolve is a software and service platform that serves vacation rental property owners by marketing their property, booking, and providing guests with 24-7 support. It's a platform that sits on top of engines like VRBO, Booking.com, Airbnb, And Evolve has done really well, starting in a basement in 2011 and growing to handle over 19,000 properties in over 750 destinations and raising millions of funding along the way. Even more remarkable, in my opinion, perhaps, is that the average guest review gives 4.7 stars. And that's a lot of stars in an industry where a lot can go wrong. So we're going to talk about all that. We're also going to talk about trends in vacation home rental and in that whole marketplace. So, Brian, I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for coming. Likewise. Great to be here. So with that intro, I mean, how close did I get? How would you describe Evolve? I'd say you were you were very close. I, I describe it as a hospitality platform for vacation rentals. So we partner with second homeowners or third, fourth, uh, but vacation property owners all around the country, as you mentioned. Our model allows us to operate just about anywhere. So we have... 750 plus uh, destinations, uh, 20,000 homes by the end of this month, this quarter. And uh, we then book those homes across from guests under our brand. And we ensure that ideally they have a five-star experience and the vast majority of the time they do. Yeah. So talking about this notion of in through your brand, you clarify a little more about Evolve versus Airbnb, VRBO, Booking.com, where your brand sits. Yeah, this is the number one FAQ I get, whether it's in business or at a at a cocktail party. Um, we work with those companies as partners. Think of us as the Marriott or the Hilton to their Expedia. They're a marketplace designed to match supply and demand. We are the supply. So we've partnered with these owners to bring the homes on our platform on an exclusive basis, and we are then supplying them to that marketplace. Yeah, but what do you mean by exclusive basis? Because I can find the same home on Airbnb that I can find on Evolve. So what's the, how does that exclusive work? Exclusive yeah. meaning that we are the ones who control that calendar. So the owner has partnered with us exclusively. And then to your point, we are advertising those properties on Airbnb, Verbo, Booking.com, as well as Evolve.com, our direct site. Got it. So if I own a vacation property and I want to rent it, I can either choose to work directly with Verbo or Airbnb or Booking, and I can manage all that crap, or I can say you take it. And I think they pay you, what, 10%? That's right. And then you do all the placing and all that, and then you manage the whole process. Precisely. And Got we it. do that across from those larger partners as well as on our direct site. And when it comes to those larger partners, I mean, it is a complex and competitive game. Yeah. So we have teams working across from them all the time. They're very close partners. Of but you've got your own site. So someone could avoid going through Airbnb, go through Evolve, rent direct. So 
is this that whole phrase like coopetition? Although it's not really because you're not really like you're. If somebody rents through you, they're not renting through Airbnb. That's correct. And I, you know, I think at, at some level, Airbnb would always rather that everyone goes to Airbnb, yeah. and we'd rather they come direct. But on the other hand, this has been the case in travel for years, right? This is the United Airlines to Kayak. This is Marriott to Expedia. The list goes on. I um, suppose, but it just seems like at some point, like you got them, and I'm looking at. You, you can give me the exact date, but somewhere way in the early beginning, you got them to partner with you. And now they're like, wait a minute, what the, you, you built your engine on top of ours and now you're competing with us like stab, stab, stab. No, you know, in fact, in <laughs> so, fact, they're really grateful in the sense that when they first partnered with us, I don't think they could have imagined the, you know, hundreds of millions, even billions that we've pumped through their platforms. Yeah, yeah, and we yeah. actually improve the quality on their platform. I mean, our ability to get great content in front of their guests, provide incredible responsiveness, et cetera, yeah. and get those 4.7 stars out of five, yeah. that all pulls up the performance of their marketplace. So truly, I think they would consider their competitor to be each other and for us to be their partner. Well, that's a good place to go and, and well said. I'm sure you've said it before. A couple times. So, yeah, yeah. Now, backing up, I mean, you started with co-founder Adam Sherry in 2011 with this initial seed rounding, a round of funding. I mean, what did it all look like as it came together? What were you actually thinking in 2011? Yeah, it's, it's true enough. A basement in central Denver, very proud of that. Um, you know, I think in many ways, let's start with the vision, right? The vision was to build the most trusted hospitality brand in vacation rental. And importantly, at that time, no such thing existed. And I would argue that we're still, you know, in the early phase of that journey. Um, there is no Marriott or Hilton of vacation rental. If you ask 10 people on the street to name a vacation rental company, they will say Airbnb or That's VRBO right. Right, right. or what they now want to call Verbo. Yeah. Um, but nobody can name an Evolve or any other large-scaled, you know, hospitality yeah. brand. Yeah, but to be fair, no one knows the difference. Well, and that's our job to change yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. good reason to be here. So, um, but that was the vision. And you know, for us, what we believed in 2011, and we believe it still is, the category is going to mainstream. As it continues to do so, professionalization will matter more, not less. Yeah, and we yeah, had yeah, to yeah. build a scalable, differentiated format for that. Yeah, we're going to talk about the scalability in a little bit. The idea of, uh, I mean, there are competitors now even in your space. Sure. Right, yeah. that sit on top. So really your job, it seems like to me, you're biggest challenge is to build a trusted brand that makes people want to go to evolve versus the bigger name, higher profile companies. And when I think about trusted, I, th I think about owners. I think about guests. I think about our partners. Um, I think about our team, our community, our stakeholders, like investors. Yeah, yeah. So it's across the board. Yeah. So the name evolve, what's yes. that? Well, we figured status quo vacation rental sounded like a bad idea, right? <laughs> I mean, and, and, and yeah, kidding yeah, yeah. aside, if you think about, yes, there are competitors that we have today that are direct, but that existed when we formed the company. The legacy industry was essentially do it yourself, yeah. which was almost impossible prior to the internet, um, and or the local property management industry, right? Which is a more subscale, fragmented, uh, higher fees, et cetera. Yeah. So when you think about the, I always, because you're really a, a software driven company, a very tech enabled yeah. business. So yeah. you know, when you, th I always, I'm always curious about the initial, the initial, you know, first. Uh, first scenario of what your technology looked like. I mean, you can't spend a lot on it because you don't, you, you just don't have it, but how close was it? How rudimentary was it? And did it even work very well? Uh, it was not that close. It was very <laughs> rudimentary and it worked okay. Um, you know, our belief was at the end of the day that this was a hospitality platform. Our first job was to create value for owners, uh, think higher performance, lower fees, yeah. and to create great experiences for guests. 
nobody was going to give us all the credit for having the very best app at that time. So we started with a rather rudimentary platform. And then as we got the business going, we were able to invest uh, increasingly into yeah. building uh, something that we're really proud of today. Yeah. And, and your sites now, it's clean, it's easy. It's probably nothing like what it looked like. It is nothing with. like yeah, what it looked yeah. like. When you look back um, at that other thing, do you wonder, like, how did we even get this I wonder all the time. Yeah. How, how do you get the flywheel of these things even moving? And you wonder, I mean, even those first 25, 50 owners, those first bookings. Uh, yeah. I remember the first booking clearly, August 23rd, 2011. Yeah. Well, that was a question because you mentioned the flywheel and, and, you know, what do you say to the very first homeowner or, you know, property owner who comes out like, Hey, don't sweat it. In 10 years, there's going to be 20,000 more of that's, you and you can say you're going to be first. Like, that's right. Is it's, that how it goes? Basically. And it's the same thing you're saying to the first uh, teammate, the first landlord, the yeah. first, you know, I mean, the list of people that you have to make a persuasive case to that. Don't worry. You're first, but yeah. this is the beginning of something huge. And you oh, how look many back how, at these things and you don't, I, I honestly, it's like you black out. You don't know how you did it. Yeah. And you know, it's of course with this, putting a home on a, and a new evolve being the, like there's really not anything at risk. Well, the risk would have been that is we there? didn't perform because yeah, a lot of folks are depending on us to pay their mortgage, their taxes, right. their bills, their upkeep and maintenance. But they could have been on Evolve and directly managing, right? They could have been like trying you out. Well, and we, that's why we were focused on being exclusive. And because what we didn't want to do is, is build a business where we were only an incremental, as you'd say in the startup world, a vitamin, not a painkiller, right? We didn't want to be just a small piece of what they were doing. Yeah. We wanted to be a, a core partner to them. So is the, was that the sale from num, from day one where you're, where it was you what we were choose us exclusively? It's what we were trying to do. We walked away from it for a little while because it wasn't uh, mm. growing as fast as we wanted. And we, uh, we had bigger ambitions. And honestly, the biggest lesson learned in this was not to uh, chase scale, right? We, we started to do things on a non-exclusive basis. We started to work with property managers. There's a a segment of time in 2000, call it 12, 13, where we were on a path to build something big, but not something that we believed was as durable. Huh. And, and the mantra at Evolve is durable growth. We don't yeah. believe in figuring out the economics later. We believe in, in building it in a durable and, and sustainable way. So you were tempted to deviate from the original plan because it wasn't going fast enough? Precisely. And, and, you, and actually did. You did I'll, for a while? I'll, I'll own that, yeah. Yeah, I could see where you would. And that's I think that's always a challenge for CEOs, especially when you're using other people's money and they're looking and, you know, they, uh, right. I mean, you're shaking your, yeah. uh, so it's, it's the hardest yeah. part. Right. And, and I think that having the courage of your conviction and it, it's amazing when we look back, the original one pager, right. The, the summary, uh, the, the executive summary that we would send to an investor, it actually describes the business that we ended up building. Huh. But, but interestingly, the path there was not yeah. exactly linear. And I would argue that what we were was early and you never know if you're uh -huh. early until yeah. you get the retrospective. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. At the time, I'll give you an example. If you place yourself then, you know, Verbo, as they now call it, was a classified ad site. You couldn't even book a home on it. All an owner could do was pay a few hundred dollars a year to have a advertisement on it. And then guests could give them their name and contact information. And the owner would then go back and forth with them wow. through their personal yeah, email. That seems Airbnb ancient. was a, a series A company and still only basically doing, you know, the couch surfing apartment yeah. sharing thing. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, I look back and I think we were a bit early, but you know, if it doesn't kill you, then it's okay. Yeah. And actually, when I think about this first before, well, I'm, I'll forget if I start thanking sponsors right now, but when you think about it, it's like you let Airbnb and Verbo sort of clear the path and then you created a, a, a way to pop on top that added value for everyone. 
Exactly. Well, I mean, and yeah. that was really what we were thinking in the basement was the marketplaces are already there. We knew that yeah. they were going to grow and mature. Yeah. And what was going to create was this vacuum, right? You can imagine supply and demand being matched much more efficiently. But what's not happening is the supply chain, the refinement of the supply chain itself yeah. not being there. There are some amazing for rent by owners out there. And for those who can do it well, kudos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but a, a lot of second homeowners and, and are, are, right? These are two working spouses. Oh, they got kids in school. And what a pain in the ass. Who wants to like get a call on a Saturday night at 10 o'clock? The hot tub's broken. Right. I mean, yeah. And how do you want to think about dynamic revenue management? And how do you want to well, think about, too. you know, conversion-based yeah. sort on Airbnb? And why are you on page three? Uh, all good questions. Before we get into that, <laughs> I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360, named best Denver podcast three years running and 2021's best Colorado business podcast. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. My guest today is Brian Egan, co-founder and CEO of Evolve. Thanks to our sponsors, Kinsley Meetings. Steve Kinsley is Proco 360's longest running sponsor. He's got a background in hospitality. In fact, he started the Broadmoor. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was. I think he was like, I don't know, he wasn't doing anything, marketing or sales or something. Amazing. Yeah, anyway, also, Via Technologies, thanks for hosting Proco 360 uh, and uh, keeping the website going, Digital Frontier Printing, a really entrepreneurial printing and sign company. Uh, please give them a try. And Brian, uh, Evolve should be a sponsor. We'll figure that out in trade, right? So... <laughs> Let's talk. Perfect. Uh, go to Proco360.com and check out all these sponsors. So um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and um, talk a little bit about the funding that came early on. And sure. um, even before your Series A round of $2.7 million, that was 2013, you had some seed money. Um, but you, with almost nothing, you did form those partnerships you mentioned with Airbnb and Verbo. How did that conversation go? Uh, not as smoothly as I would have thought. Yeah. So we had this great, you know, it all looks perfect on paper, right? And then you go to go live and we were at first kind of struggling. And I'll tell you a quick story about uh, what is now called Verbo. Again, at the time, VRBO or HomeAway was the other brand yeah, that they were yeah. using. And we reached out to them, didn't really get a lot back, tried to kind of get something going, got an initial response from a sales rep, had a few listings up on the site. So then we went to turn our site on and we wrote this little phrase that said, proud partners with <laughs> HomeAway, VRBO, yeah, yeah, TripAdvisor, yeah. et cetera. And the next day, a cease and desist letter comes through saying, wow. uh, we saw that you have the, right? and it was interesting. They had been watching. I mean, my first response was, oh my God, the HomeAway legal department knows who we are. That's like, cool. How, yeah. yeah. Like how that happened, right? <laughs> I, I, was, I was blown away. It turns out they have been watching. And our model was differentiated enough that it actually caused them some initial concern. And I think, you know, of course, we all can laugh about it now as we're, we're uh, you know, deeply embedded partners and, and have been very successful together over the years. And I think they now understand that we are, you know, our, our, our vision, our ambition here is to be a scaled supplier yeah. of this inventory. And, mm -hmm. and that works well as complement to their business model. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still thinking deeply about the idea that you have your own, you have your own platform that people can go through. I just, I, Brian, I gotta, I gotta wonder, like, how long are they going to love you? Oh, I think we got a lot. We've got decades of love ahead. Do you? Oh, that's yeah, good. Yeah. Again, I go back to this. I mean, at the end of the day, almost every brand, and you can even go outside of the travel court category, right? But there are plenty of brands 
that have distribution partnerships, advertising partnerships, right? Brands that sell on Amazon also sell direct. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, although Amazon may not be the most popular well, example. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a it can get fraught, right? Yeah. Um, and to your point, though, this is where you know uh, Walmart's the same thing. I mean, you've got brands that sell there and worry about dependency. And yeah, yeah. I think there's a very comfortable uh, ground for uh, for us both to where one plus one can equal three. Yeah, I, I you know you do see that. I mean, people sell direct to consumer. They also sell through Walmart. Well, you know, whatever. And let's remember, yeah. we're twenty thousand, you know, properties right now. And mm-hmm. yes, we have ambitions to grow by, you know, an order yeah. of magnitude. That said, you know, there are five million properties on Airbnb. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the that their their grand equation here is one where they see us as a high performer that pulls up the performance of their mm-hmm. marketplace. Well, that would make sense because you customers, your customers, do pay you ten percent. Yes. And um, so, by the way, who who I mean, in exchange, they don't have to do the work. Mm-hmm. around it and your customer their customers get a better experience who pays that 10% i mean if is a customer going to end up paying renting out through a, you know an evolved property is that price going to reflect the better service so, and all that kind of thing so the way i think about this is that the owner is paying us the 10% we're retaining that out of the booking mhm yeah but I mean, does that change? Like if I, if I book directly through Airbnb versus directly oh, through, sure. maybe I shouldn't have asked that question. I mean, that's probably one of those questions Ashley didn't want me to ask. You're but, welcome to yeah. ask anything. So, so okay. yeah. So, so I mean, is the price going to be different? Yeah. So actually it will be a little different and here's why. Um, Airbnb charges a guest service fee on their site. If you yeah. look at the, yeah. in the, in the cart. A non-refundable you, one. Right. Yes. If you look uh-huh. in the cart, there's a guest service fee there. Right. On Evolve, we have a similar, uh, we have a similar fee. However, it's lower than Airbnb. So yeah, hmm. it's a, it's an objective fact to booking on Evolve is is slightly low, a lower price. And that yet said, they get better service. Some people, uh, well, they're going to get our service either way. Right, yeah. Yeah, what we want is consumers to book wherever they are comfortable. Yeah. For some people, they love using that Airbnb app. That's where they're going to go back. Yeah. Great, we're, we're happy to find you there. If we can uh, do such a good job that you want to come back and book direct, that's yeah. great too. But at the end of the day, we want to fill our homes and fill our calendars yeah. and, and you know keep spinning the flywheel of this business. All right, I'm going to move on from that. I, it was curious to me. I had to dwell on it are, a little bit. You can park I there as long on. as you want. No, right. I'm going to move on. In the last couple of years, COVID, right, impacted your industry. So ask you for a few stats. What are you seeing in changes of length of stay, average spent per night, locations? I mean, what, what are you seeing? Yeah, so I, I think number one, uh, let's talk about. Well, I'll give you the specifics on those, and then we'll do a macro. Length of stay hasn't changed a lot actually for us, and, and it's that's surprising. Yeah, yeah, I would have thought says, it was longer. Yeah, everyone says it's longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we are getting a lot more longer trips. We are also getting a lot more shorter trips. It's huh. actually the entire tide has raised, and so the average hasn't moved that much. We've always been in the business of booking a roughly four night trip on average, and that really hasn't changed that much. But so the average hasn't changed, but you're, it sounds like the the distribution has moved to left and right. It, exactly. So what we're seeing is uh, four nights, but we have increased occupancy. We're seeing more demand for midweek stays, and mm. we're seeing much higher ADRs, average daily rates, as we would call it. Um, so the you know supply did not increase uh, flat to maybe even slightly mm-hmm. down because during COVID, a lot of owners were using their yeah, homes. Yeah, but demand? But demand skyrocketed. So what did that do to the average price? Was oh, it's it up, up 30% more? Uh, maybe, maybe a little less than that. Yeah. Um, I'd say, you know, today versus 2019 is probably in the low 20s. Yeah. Percent less. Well, that's pretty substantial. Very substantial. And, and so when you think about locations too, you know, everything I've read is like, okay, people are working away from home and so forth. And they're, they're not just going to what we typically consider vacations places, right? They're, what are you seeing there? So there's a couple of interesting things. I mean, trends. is Des Moines, Iowa getting tons of vacation rental? I mean, I wouldn't say tons, <laughs> but they've got their yeah. share, right? Um, yeah. I, there's two big trend lines I'd highlight for you. One is 
uh, a return to nature. I think something about this mm. pandemic really drove people out of the urban areas and out into nature. And so uh, places like Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which is the gateway to the Great Smoky Mountain uh, National Park, um, places like Lake Tahoe, Lake Havasu, et cetera, where there's just, you know, yes, it's a vacation destination, but there's tons of outdoor experiences to offer. Those have been going through the roof. There is a second trend, though, that you're identifying, which is there's a blurring of the line of what we used to think of as a vacation rental, which might have been the Gulf Coast of Florida, yeah. you know, full stop. Uh, and now you're seeing, you know, San Diego is a vacation rental destination or what have you. So there's certainly a blurring of the line, but I think that call to nature has been real. And that's an interesting one. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, when you, you mentioned too, like, okay, San Diego. So, so when people were taking vacations, say before COVID, it seemed to be highly concentrated around attractions around, you know, and it seems like when you mentioned something like San Diego, that's like a big area. You can just go and hang. Yeah. Is that, is that a fair change? Um, you uh, know, perception I, or no, I don't know that that's necessarily changed. I mean, I, I would say this, I think the biggest thing that happened with COVID overall was this is the, the trend line of the mainstreaming of our category is one of the many that was accelerated yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by COVID, right? And we've seen that across so many different categories. So it's really interesting. We attracted a lot of new consumers and guests to the space for the first time. Mm. And once they experienced yeah. it, they loved it and they wanted to stay. So you mentioned blurred and, and blurred lines. And I had a actually a great segue because uh, I was wondering about the blurred line now between vacation and work remote. And what are you seeing around that? Yeah, it's it's truly a blurred line. I mean, I think the best example would be the weekend long stay might have been a Friday, Saturday night, maybe a three night stay, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday mm -hmm. is now becoming a four or five night stay. Why? Because it's easier to drive up. Let's just do Denver as an example. Yeah, yeah. Here we sit, right? You're going to go up to Steamboat for the weekend. It's easier to drive up on Tuesday evening or Wednesday yeah. morning and be able to work from there for a couple days. You're still getting some fun in maybe before and after work, maybe a bike ride at lunch. Mm -hmm. And then you take Friday off and enjoy the rest of the weekend. And that's what, yeah, we're seeing a ton of that. Wow. Are you seeing also, I mean, I've read about, you know, people renting places, fairly remote places or whatever for a month or three months yeah. or whatever to just get away and work. And that again, way. that's happening. It's not happening enough to move that length of stay really? in part because huh. we're also getting the, Hey, look, that's cheap. If you just go from Monday to Wednesday, right. Uh, you know, so you're yeah, getting yeah, both, yeah. but that is definitely happening. I also think that's an interesting point of vacation rental versus the hotel and resort industry, where hmm. if you're going to go somewhere for a month, or if you're going to go somewhere, even for four days yeah. and work for two, yep. you don't really want just a big bedroom. You want a house, yeah. right? Yeah. You want a kitchen, you want a back deck you want to be able sure. to get out. Wow. That really would give you an even stronger advantage as I think about that over hotels. Yeah. Or and BB and, or and what we're seeing yeah. is occupancy is really the end of the story there. It's, I mean, you know, rates are going to come and go. Markets are going to set price, but ultimately yeah. it's occupancy that goes up. So when you market and you talk to customers, has your messaging changed you know, during COVID around this whole topic? Yeah, I think it, it's, we've leaned towards, you know, trust. And, and I think that's what really matters the most here is it, it's helpful to book with a brand where you know that a team is standing by at 24-7, that we have a rest easy promise that guarantees our property standards, that we have flexible cancellation policies. You know, we can even issue uh, booking credits against a platform that has 20,000 homes, et cetera. You know, all of those yeah. are going to be benefits relative to the average for rent by owner. Well, it wasn't really my question. My question had to do with the marketing messaging. Are you like when, have you changed the messaging around talking to, con or maybe you don't even worry about why consumers are booking. Do you care why consumers are booking to the extent like, Hey, if you want to get away to work, if you want to yeah. do this, do you, 
change well, your I mean, messaging? we certainly do care, uh, in part because if, if there's a message that resonates and delivers, you know, a great experience, we want to be able to repeat it. Um, and certainly wasn't trying to duck the question. Really, no, it, that, that is actually the answer, which is to say, during the pandemic, I think what people started to worry about was, what if my plans change? How do I know this yeah, home yeah. is what it's going to be? How do I know it's going to be clean right. and safe for yeah, my yeah, family, yeah. right? And so now, to your point, some of the consumer behavior is changing, and we certainly are testing into different messages around, hey, a workcation, you know, extended yeah, exactly. stay, That's et cetera. Yeah. yeah. In a lot of cases, that that is a bit of messaging, but consumers can figure that out on their own, too. I mean, a lot of times what they're doing is really trying to shop straight to the product, get on the listing page and understand if it's the home. So you're not trying to generate demand. You're trying to serve customers who already feel a a desire. I think that's the right way to think about it. When I think about generating demand, it's more capturing the demand that's out there and not so much inspiring it. Um, Someday I'd like to get to the part where Mm. we felt like we had to inspire it. Uh, In other words, that that was the the next constraint. But right now we've got more, you know, there's so much demand of people who are already searching. Well, that's a good way to put it. And, and, when you talk about running the business, here's what I, I really wonder. And you're guaranteeing satisfaction in the imperfect world, the highly imperfect world of private home rental. And it seems to me guaranteeing it is close to impossible, and yet you do. So how do you approach making sure that each experience is what consumers want? Yeah, so I'd say, first of all, you're right, it's imperfect. You know, yeah. things, things break at my house. Things break in vacation rentals, their yeah. houses. There's a lot of variables in the equation. Oh, everything can go wrong. Hot tub, tank is empty, yeah. propane tank. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I think we'll get to operations in one second. I think this starts with culture. This starts with the, the team on the field and being deeply rooted in hospitality and empathy as a culture. And our culture has been, I think, the key to the success of the business. So we can unpack that if you'd like. Well, I do um, want to. Tell okay. me, connect those dots. I mean, you talk about the culture is key. So yeah, why, how? Well, let's start with this. Go back to the basement. Um, my big belief huh. is that culture, if you think about it as like the single thing that has the, the it's the heaviest lever that you can pull on what will ultimately be your success or failure. Mm. And of all the things that are inputs to your success or failure, it's the only one that you have complete control over yourself. Huh. And so I Is would that because you're a business, because you're in hospitality? You think in oh, any business? I think business. it's true of any business. Mm. I think it's true of any business. I also would argue that hospitality can be a strategy in almost any business, right? Mm. But I would say any business, I mean, I, you know, I counsel founders all the time, start with culture, start by architecting that. It sounds crazy, even though the well, company doesn't exist, but I promise you it is like the most important thing you can do. It does sound, I'm going to come back to that. First, yeah. I'm going to remind listeners again, this is three uh, Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. This episode is with Brian Egan of Evolve. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. And so, yeah, I want to stick on culture for a minute because, you know, uh, I owned a tech company back when culture meant foosball tables. Right. And, you know, it's all bullshit when it, when it really, if that's what it's about, right? So what's the difference between foosball tables and the kind of culture you're talking about that actually drives company success? Yeah, I I could, I'm so glad you asked this. It's not about foosball tables and happy hour. It's about everything. It's, I call it the theory of everything sort of, uh, you know, building off the movie about Stephen Hawking's life. It's not about astrophysics either, but. And you don't um, sound like him either. Oh, thank you. Uh, (laughs) But it is definitely 
uh, about everything. I mean, I think of culture as how we work together, how we work across from our customers. It is in the ether of everything that we do. And it is particularly relevant when things are hard, right? And when the wind is blowing in your face, when COVID delivers a 97% cancellation rate Mm. and a travel ban shuts down your travel business for three months, that's culture when that gets tested. And so architecting that very deliberately and doing so in two ways, one, define what gets rewarded, define the values. And two, make sure that it's architected for change. You know, one thing we're really uh, uh, big on is ensuring that we have, we make room for new evolvers. So Hmm. new evolvers coming on the team, they need to be their authentic self. And that involves actually changing the culture by bringing themselves to the equation. Well, we're we're going a little long. I'm not nearly done. Can I talk? Do you have a few minutes? Can I talk to you about culture a little longer? Absolutely. Okay. So I'll talk about culture all all day. So here's my question for you, and I'm putting you on the spot. Okay, you have to architect. You mentioned you have to architect to define culture. Yeah. So think of an example, and if we need to make a cut here while you think that's okay, think of a specific example of something you've done that you feel defines culture and is architected into the way you operate. Sure. Uh, one of our core values, communicate often, honestly, and directly. It's been turned into the acronym COHAD. One thing you'll hear around Evolve is COHAD is a launch word into sentences. And I'm talking about throughout the company. This isn't just me. This is like two teammates I've never met because we're at the part of the company. We have 850 teammates Mm, plus. You know, we're adding, in some cases, 40 or 50 more every month. Wow. So this is happening, you know, between two other people, right? Um, Ways that that gets modeled. Uh, A monthly all-hands meeting in which we share all the data of the company completely transparently. Uh, we talked about the pandemic. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I got on a Zoom with the whole company and said, here's exactly where we are. Here's how scary this is. Here's what it can do mm-hmm. to the business. Here's what we're preparing for. It could be nuclear winter, right? I mean, COHAD is what we live by. And I think it is what builds trust. I mean, going back to being the most trusted yeah. hospitality brand, that starts mm. with our team trusting us uh, as a business. And COHAD, again, stands for? Communicate often, honestly, and directly. Hmm. Directly. That's a tough one, right? Direct means different things to some people, doesn't it? Yeah. I think in our case, it means no varnish. It just means straight shooting, you know, eye to eye. Let's just, let's put it on the table and not dress it up and just be real. And yeah, but if you've got, do you have your, your teammates, team members doing that directly with homeowners saying, Hey, you screwed up. It's not our fault. I mean, I mean, how do you con- how do you communicate directly with a homeowner who's not fulfilling their obligation? Sure. There's a, fortunately this is why you have more than one value, right? I yeah. mean, I, I get it. <laughs> that may be how you're feeling. You yeah. also have to bring hospitality to the table and uh, another core value: build loyalty one interaction at a time, right? Yeah. So, um, I, but I, the answer to your question is you might be feeling that way, and actually, what you need to do is channel that through empathy. Put yourself mm. in their shoes and say, "How am I going to get my point across?" in a way that is going to resonate with them. Um, you know, one of my all-time favorite hospitality thinkers, setting the table. Oh, um, yeah. And what he talks about is hospitality is present when you know the person across from you is doing something with or for you, mm-hmm. not to or at you. Mm. And, you know, you can deliver very difficult feedback in a, in a way that uh, really lives up to hospitality. Yeah. All right. I'm going to shift gears again sure. um, to your background, especially because, you know, you're talking about hospitality, but... Uh, attorneys aren't generally recognized with that attribute, right? But before all this business stuff, you were an attorney. So when you think about the skills, the attributes and things like that, Brian, that you brought as an attorney to your business career, what do you use? What do you actually use now? Yeah. Well, and before I was attorney, I was scooping ice cream and and working in restaurants for 10 years, literally until I was 26 years old, I didn't make a dollar outside of a restaurant. So I think the hospitality piece actually came first. 
Um, yeah, but if you're scooping ice cream, you don't have to actually be that nice to customers. I mean, it's true. You got the yeah. best product in the yeah, world. So, you can, you yeah. can pretty much do it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say this, I think, uh, there's two things. One was just a legal education, which is, I, I believe is really valuable whether or not you ever are a practicing attorney. There is a, an analytical rigor that, uh, that I felt like I learned. And I think it impacts the way I think, communicate, write, et cetera today. Um, and that's really helpful. Uh, the second piece would be I was in Silicon Valley. And so I was representing startups and venture capitalists. Mm. That was what I did. I only did this for two or three years, yeah. to be clear. But it was a it was a foundation of my career where I got incredible exposure to dozens and dozens of companies. I was the one doing their Series A financing, et cetera. Huh, yeah. I got a feel for how their cultures operated. I was sitting in their board meetings. Um, I was in way over my head, to be super clear. Yeah. But I also, uh, I learned so much from it. Um, and ultimately, one of the things I learned was that I had found myself you know, at the right table, but in the wrong chair. You know, I'm sitting in the board meeting like, hey, have you thought about this business (laughs) development strategy? And everyone looks at me, you know, you're a second. You're the lawyer. You're a second year attorney. You'll, you know, don't speak until spoken to. Yeah. Well, so when you think about though, as a lawyer looking in on all those meetings, what, what did all those startup founders need to know from a legal standpoint that you like quickly, bang, 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 you knew they were they were yeah. going to find themselves in some trouble. I, I'll tell you the biggest one is understanding the true nature of the partnership you have with your capital investors hmm. um, and really understanding what the the, cap, the venture capital investment model is. And this is not, by the way, an anti-VC stance. I am pro-VC. I think I know some wonderful venture capitalists and I, we have some incredible investors in our company. I think that broadly speaking, it is still a misunderstood um, industry from many founders mm-hmm. Uh, and you've got to understand that those venture capitalists have a business model and uh, that- you And know, the legalities around that. And it's the complement between your yeah. business model and theirs that yeah. matters. Yeah. Um, you were, in, you mentioned you've been in hospitality, and you, but you were at Exclusive Resorts before Evolve. Yes. What did you learn there that you feel like you brought that's been really critical like yeah. from one to the next? Man, two things that were really key for me. Um, one would be the macro that homes matter a lot. People love homes, right? I mean, that was the nature of that business. So. What does that mean? The macro of homes mean a lot. Oh, sorry. So, uh, meaning that homes versus say hotels and resorts. Oh yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. exclusive resorts was a, was a membership club with, uh, you know, hundreds of private homes, homes. around the world. Yeah. Yeah. And what blew our minds was just how much, regardless of even how nice the home was and how soft the sofa was and how new the TV was, all those things that were great. Um, It's a luxury travel business. That said, it was really getting to a home, spending time together with friends Mm, and family mm, mm, and mm. little things. This sounds kind of cute, but it's true. People would write us these notes about waking up and having breakfast in the kitchen with their kids instead of yeah. going down to the lobby and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right? So that was you know, the trend line of homes is when got I it. say the macro. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was what got myself and my co-founder, Adam Sherry, to want to really you know devote the rest of our careers towards this. No, that um, makes sense. Yeah. The second thing was I had a really fun job at Exclusive Resorts. I was kind of the... The, the guy who would go around. The sampler? And, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> for, I'm dating myself, but the the Mikey of the old Life Cereal commercials, yeah. right? I mean, I just, I was the guy who would start, fix, flush, you know, whatever Why would you ever want to leave that job? Because uh, it was time for me to okay, take my own enough. shot. It was <laughs> time enough. for me to take my own yeah. shot. Yeah. Now, I mean, even with your strong background, hospitality, scooping ice cream, but no, more importantly, a law, Evolve, uh, you know, when, what, what did you experience after you started Evolve, it was like, wow, I didn't know this. I really need to figure this out. What slapped you in the face? Oh, man. Um, 
I, I tell you what, I think that, and what I now realize when you said sampler at exclusive resorts, I did sometimes sample the homes, but I also mm-hmm. got to do, I mean, what I meant was I was kind of the, the fixer who ran around and had seven different jobs in eight years. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I was yeah. like, we want to try launching in Europe. We want to try building a partnership with Merrill Lynch. We want to try whatever it is. And I was always the person doing that. So mm. the good news for me was not a lot surprised me in the sense that I had, again, the legal experience and being a generalist at a fast growing company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that for a combined 10 years. I had seen a lot. I think, um, you know, probably the biggest thing for me was just understanding how quickly you can get to the point of overwhelm and needing support and help from teammates and how important it was to bring the right leaders into the business and and ultimately to, you know, find people to do all these things. I was a generalist, right? So I could do everything a little bit. That's a great way to get off the ground. It's also a great way to really hurt yourself, right? Trying to do everything. You can, you can. And I did. I mean, I took it way too far uh, and got to a point where I realized I was, uh, you know, I, I could have gone on a fast path to burnout. And now I've got a bunch of people around me who are way better at those jobs than I ever was. Yeah. And I've, I've really, I'm grateful for that. And it's probably the single biggest lesson for me. If I look back, I should have made some of those moves earlier. Yeah. Um, talking about, uh, you know, you're a Colorado company, you talk about being a Colorado company. So what, you know, what's your take on being a Colorado company? First response is I'm just so proud of being a Colorado company. Yeah. I mean, we love it. Uh, you know, born and raised in a in a basement in Denver. Um, I'll tell you, I'm, where was this basement in Denver? You've talked about. It. I I started when I started my tech company. It was the Kitty Corner across from Sushi Den in the basement of a building down yeah, in there. It's yeah, it's over. Um, it's it's a house that is over near uh, kind of near Rose Medical Center. Yeah, where, yeah. Where actually where my boys were born. Got it. Um, so you know, I came here from Silicon Valley, right? And, and I left and everyone thought I was out of my mind. I mean, this was 2000. I started working in this community in 2003. I moved here permanently in early 2004. And everyone there was like, why are you leaving the epicenter of, you know, value creation and startup land to go there? And there was something about this community that just, you know, I felt a connection to it and I felt a connection within it. I think that the community itself was so supportive where founders were supporting each other. Founders were, who had made it to the next level were reaching and helping those that came next. And when I think about that was almost 20 years ago. Yeah. And what I think that has changed today is the, the, I mean, the, an order of magnitude, uh, more companies, the companies are going further and yeah. taking on bigger and better things and making it to incredible places. And absolutely nothing has changed about that connection within the community. And That's it's, it's so just cool. so, it's so incredible. To I me. hope that continues. You know, there's talk that, you know, as companies, the valuations grow and, um, you know, more unicorns are created and so forth. There's, there's a conversation that, you know, is that going to continue? Is this, is this close knit collaborative community going to continue as valuations and, you know, companies go public and all this? Yeah, I, I believe it can. Um, I'm an optimist, right. Yeah. By nature, but I, I also think it, it can. And I think that we've seen what happens in some of the tech hubs where it becomes more zero sum game. And I think there's a real reason why people are drawn here. And as for the companies getting to these greater heights and, and higher valuations and everything, I mean, what's wonderful about that is that for most of those companies, uh, there are teammates that have equity in that company yep. and they, they're then in a position to take what they've learned and maybe some of the flexibility that they've gained and go start the next thing. And I think yeah. we're seeing that kind of regeneration, st- yeah, which yeah, is yeah, so yeah. cool. I mean, yeah. that, I, I can't wait for the day when I'm like, you know, one of my proudest moments will be some Evolver launching a, a company that's bigger than Evolve. That'd be cool. amazing. Yeah. Well, you're getting philosophical. And that's my second to last question, which is <laughs> you have a degree in philosophy and psychology. Um, you know, thinking about that, 
does that have any impact on who you are, what you do at Evolve now? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of who I am. Um, you know, so growing up, I was never, you know, some of these entrepreneur stories are like, oh, and the kid was selling baseball cards out of his locker. Like yeah. I had, I wanted nothing to do with business. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. As far as I'm concerned, business was this thing where your dad puts on a lame suit and gets on a, a train and goes downtown and comes home and, you know, nothing about it interested me. I was mm -hmm. like a big reader and writer and just kind mm -hmm. of a nerd. Um, and so I think most of my friends who knew me up until I was about 22 are surprised I'm not some, mm -hmm. you know, college professor with corduroy patches on his blazer, uh -huh. right? Teaching the Tao of Brian. Yeah, literally, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and at some level business, I realized what attracted me to it was once I realized that there was amazing creativity there and there was a platform to yeah, teach. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't ever say the Tao of Brian, but right. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, it is an amazing platform in which to bring some of the things I care about a lot, like culture, like empowering people, like developing people. It's an incredible platform for that. And, um, and truly those are the things about the business that fill my cup the most. Yeah. You know, I think, I think Colorado does have more business leaders that think about business as more than profit generation, that it's about creating a personal sense of value in the world. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of what I'm hearing you say. Well, I, I would put it this way. Um, more than agreed. Uh, but I don't believe that culture is a offset to durable growth and ultimate profitability of a business. Yeah. I believe it's the pathway. Mm -hmm. I think that this is the way that you can really unlock an incredible amount of value in a company. And ultimately I think what we all know is it's a talent game. Right. So if you want to attract and retain the best team, I mean, we have, uh, as we think about the operational framework of the business, the flywheel of the business, the first thing we focus on is the Evolver experience. It's not because we're any less customer centric than anyone else. It's because we recognize that that's our, the way our customer experiences are all, you know, the, the creation of our team. Right. Yeah. And so let's focus there, recognize that, honor that. But let's also remember we're building a business. Yeah. And one of the best things we can do to fuel that Evolver experience is develop and build something incredible. A category defining multi-billion dollar outcome is one that's going to be incredibly impactful on their lives and their careers as well. So yeah. I don't see them as offsets or trade-offs. I, yeah. think, I think they can coexist. Yeah, I don't either. I think it's the question, the, the, the irony, of course, and I know you agree with this, is that those who strive for profit first yeah. generally don't do as well as those who strive to do the things that you've talked about. I will wholeheartedly agree with that. I think actually, and, and to say it maybe in a slightly different way, um, I think that founders who are exit oriented and are in the game to make money instead of, you know, essentially are mercenaries versus missionaries, as, as some people would say, I, I think that's, you know, there are examples where it works out, but to me, it's a long, hard road and this is a long game. Yeah. And if you're in it for the money, I mean, I'd put it this way, there's a lot easier ways to make money. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> And uh, there's going to be some hard times and, and leadership can be lonely and all those things are true. And, you know, I think that having a real passion for the mission of the business is what gets you through those times. And when a pandemic shuts down the business and for a hot minute, you think, oh my God, you know, eight, nine years of work, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a an outcome here that's not off the charts probabilistically where it all goes away. Right. And it's that moment that you say, okay, if this thing matters that much to me, if I'm that passionate about it, that's what gets me through that time. Um, you know, for me, that's always been the thing. And I don't judge anyone for doing it a different way. But, the, you know, for me, that's the only way I could approach yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. The philosophical way. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So when you aren't being CEO, yeah. uh, do you use a lot of, a, you've got 16-year-old sons. Do you oh, just yeah. 
like say, hey guys, get your friends, let's go party at this house wherever? I try, man. It's up to the 16 year olds. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we uh, we are actually off to uh, their spring break is at the end of this month. We're off to uh, Kauai uh, in nice. Hawaii. Uh, in an evolved vacation rental, super sure excited about yeah. that. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, we, we get out there and try and do it. And travel has always been a passion for our family, and um, you know, no surprise, I'm I'm in the business. My wife Erin is sure. super passionate about it, and yeah. and our boys love it. I mean, it's not always in an evolved vacation rental in large part because pre-pandemic we also like to get out of the country, uh, which isn't something that Evolve has made it to yet. But not we'll get yet. there. Yeah, very good. Well, let's wrap up there. Yeah, perfect. I'm your host Dave Tabor. Today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Brian Egan, co-founder and CEO of Evolve. Thanks, Brian. Great conversation. I appreciate you letting me dig in deep on a couple of things. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for what you're doing for the community and uh, great to meet you. Likewise, Ashley and Julia, who came on your team, appreciate your help setting this up. Yes, thank Uh, you. Listeners, glad you're here on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, it's a huge help if you submit a review in your app. Thanks again to show sponsors, Kinsley Meetings, Digital Frontier Printing, and Via Technologies. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado.